How we doing, church? Are we good? So thankful you're here today, and also want to say thank you to everybody who is watching online. Online, we love you. Come on, church. Can we welcome everybody who's watching with us online? It's great having everybody here today. Uh, it is Father's Day, and so I thought we would just start the service uh, or the message part of the service uh, appropriately with some dad jokes. Come on, somebody. So it would not be Father's Day without some dad jokes. How many of you like that? Like, if you are a dad, you love just do that with your kid. You got cheesy, corny jokes. It's uh, what is it? It's a disease that has been passed down all the way from Adam. I really believe it, but it's something inside of us. We have to do it. And so it would not be Father's Day without taking a few moments to tell some dad jokes. And here's the reason why I want to tell you this. It's actually good for your health. This is in, uh, an article in Men's Health this year said this. Recent studies have shown that a good dose of humor, however grown worthy, can lower your risk of cardiovascular illness, increase your body's ability to fight pain and prevent disease, and even help you live longer. So dad jokes are good for you. So we're going to take a few moments and just, and just celebrate Father's Day with a few dad jokes. But before we do, we got to practice. We got to practice laugh, okay? Because these are, these are really good dad jokes, and you have to practice. All right. So come on, everybody. Let's just just tell the dad joke. Oh, it was so great. Punchline and. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Some of you didn't laugh. Some of you, you, some of you, some of you didn't laugh. And I see you. Okay, I can see you, and. Um, I will call you out next time. So we're going to do this one more time. Um, let's just practice one more time. Go, oh, funny dad joke. Oh, punchline and. <laughs> that was good. Okay, it's so great. Okay, here we go. I'm going to give you these dad jokes, and then you got to laugh, all right? And this is good for the soul. It's going to help you live longer, okay? All right. Um, what did the triangle say to the circle? You're pointless. <laughs> Yeah, because it's a circle. <laughs> okay. Which days, which days of the week are strongest? Saturday and Sunday. The, the rest are just week days. Okay. This is a good one. I like this one. What do you call a beehive without an exit? Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. This is so good. This is so good. Okay, last one, promise. Did you know that the first French fries weren't cooked in France? Yeah, they were cooked in Greece. They were Oh, my gosh. So good. So good. Thank you. We all, just, we all just lived a few hours longer, I believe, in Jesus' name because of that. Because of that. Um, I want to take a minute, and I want to, uh, I want to recognize all the fellas. All right? So, um, gentlemen, would you stand to your feet? If you, are a, if you are a man in this place, would you stand to your feet all across this place? Okay, it's like graduation. Hold your applause to the end. 
Hold your applause to the end. Um, I want to take a minute, and uh, I, want to, uh, I want to celebrate the men in the house. And, and the reason this is important to do is because manhood is on attack, is under attack. The enemy of our souls wants to diminish the role of being a man, but we, as the, as the body of Christ, we celebrate the role that, that both, obviously, men and women play, but we want to we say thank you to the men who are leading like men. And we want to we wanna say, hold your applause, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I want to say this. I want to say thank you to the men. We honor you today. We honor you. We want to say thank you for walking with Jesus. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for making the tough decisions. Thank you for getting up and going to work. Thank you for being responsible. Thank you for being a good role model. Thank you for serving in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being an example worth following. Thank you for honoring Jesus. Thank you for putting God first. We celebrate you. We honor you. We applaud you. And we challenge you. Keep on keeping on. Come on, church. Now we can put our hands together for all the men in the house. Come on, somebody. We love you. All right, before you're seated, man, before you're seated, find a couple dudes, give them a little fist bump, right? You find a couple dudes, give them a little fist bump, and just grunt or something, I don't know. I want to talk to you today about, uh, about an idea. This is, we're going to talk to, we're going to talk to everybody today. We're going to talk to moms, dads, we're going to talk to everybody, um, but specifically as it relates to families, you know, there's like this picture that's kind of like the, the quintessential bless our home picture, you know, and it's like a quilt. You know, it's like a quilt, like grandma made this bless our home type of thing. And, and I want to talk about, you know, it looks, looks really perfect, looks really nice. But how many of you know, a lot of times family doesn't feel really perfect or really nice. Sometimes it feels like a mess. Anybody relate to that? Has, has your family ever felt like a mess? Raise your hand. And so what I want to talk today about is, is, a, is a prayer that I hope all of us will be praying at the end of this service, and it's God bless this mess. God bless this mess. You know, Jim Gaffigan, he's a comedian, and he, uh, he has five children now, but when he had four kids, he, he joked and he said, uh, you know, having four kids is like drowning, and then somebody hands you a baby. That's what he said. Any parents ever feel like that? You don't, need, you don't need four kids to feel like that. You just need one kid sometimes and you feel like you're drowning, right? It can feel, it can feel like you're drowning. Um, or or uh, have you ever felt like the, the movie Jesus Revolution? I was watching it on the plane when we were going to Israel a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't seen it, it's a legitimately good movie, like a really good movie. But in, in the movie, there's this moment where uh, Kelsey Grammer, who is playing... Chuck Smith's character is behind the, uh, behind the stage, and he had kind of chased off the main guy who helped get this thing going. They had a falling out, and he's like, he's thinking, man, is this whole thing going to fall apart? Is this whole thing, like, what we feel like God is doing, what God has begun, is this whole thing now just going to fall apart? And, and he goes to his wife, and, and he says, man, I've really made a mess of things, haven't I? And I, and I remember, we're, I'm going over, uh, on the plane, we're flying over there, and I just, 
I'm, I'm just bawling. I'm just like crying because I can so relate. And like the person that, you know, I'm just looking, I'm, I'm so sorry. Isn't that so beautiful? They're like not even watching the same movie as I am, you know. But it's just like, man, I've made a mess of this. Can God do anything with this? Have you ever felt like that? I know we felt like that yesterday. Yesterday morning as parents. We got together, Jen and I were like, man, we're going to do this. We're going to make, we're going to make Father's Day breakfast on Saturday. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to make French toast. We're going to make bacon. We're going to have orange juice. We're going to have coffee. That was just for us. Um, but have you ever, have you ever thought, man, we're going to do something and it's going to be amazing and everybody's going to be smiling and it's just going to be such a memory. You ever thought you're going to set out to do something like that, and then you go do it, and it's nothing like that? Like we, that's, I mean, it was just like, and I thought, you know, I knew the devil would be working, so I even put some worship music on. You know what I'm saying? Just to kind of set the stage. True story. True story. Because I'm like, we got to preach tomorrow. we gotta have, we got to have the spirit in this place. And so we have the French toast going, the bacon's in the oven, which pro tip is the best way to cook bacon. Come on, somebody, just stick it in the oven. It's amazing, crispy, perfect. Anyways, so uh, we're just got this whole morning. It's incredible. Can't wait. And the kids are not having it. They are, I mean, they are, one is whining about breakfast not being done. The other is pinching the other. The other is punching the other who's pinching him. Now they're crying and they're screaming. We're trying to separate them. Meanwhile, the bacon is burning. And I'm in the flesh. And I say, what has gotten into you? And no joke. They, they looked at me, and their head started spinning 360 degrees. And they said, our name is Legion. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the whole point, <laughs> the whole point was, we were like, I was like, Jen and I were just looking at each other like, well, we tried. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we tried. <laughs> Have you ever felt like God bless this mess if you have ever felt like that you're not alone because king david who was who was israel's greatest king outside of the king of kings jesus christ king david at the end of his life he finds himself in a very precarious situation he's made some decisions that have not been good and and he's he's passing the baton onto his son solomon and he gives them this great little passage of scripture. We read this a few weeks ago in our one-year Bible reading, if you remember. If you're, if you're going through this in the one-year Bible, we read this. So I thought it'd be really powerful just to take a moment. And we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we're taking a break from Matthew. 1 Kings chapter 2, if you can look there in the scriptures. Uh, we're going to be looking there in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to tell you what David had done. David had done some really great things. He had unified the government. He had established the capital to be in Jerusalem. He wrote most of the Psalms. He uh, killed Goliath. And he was known by God as a man after God's own heart. But as we know, he was far from perfect. He, David had a tendency not to address things that needed to be addressed. He had a tendency not to step up when he needed to. 
Remember there's a whole time when he was supposed to, when kings go off to war, he was supposed to be at war. And then he finds himself on the rooftop of his palace looking down on the other, on the other houses that are close to his palace. And he sees Bathsheba and he goes and he gets her and he commits adultery. Then he kills her husband to try to cover up. It's one bad mistake of not stepping up when you need to after another. And then David finds himself in, in really one of the most disturbing portions of Scripture. David's son Amnon had pretended to be sick, asked his dad to come visit him. And he wasn't even sick, but he pretended to be sick so that his, because he really wanted to, he wanted to sleep with his sister Tamar. And so his dad unknowingly, David's like clueless on this deal, doesn't know what his son is up to, goes and sends for Tamar, and Amnon rapes Tamar. And so, and so then David doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't do anything. He's supposed to step up and address something like that. He doesn't do it. He's furious, but he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And so what happens, he leaves this void, and Absalom, his other son, who is a half-brother to Amnon, kills Amnon. And then David still doesn't really do anything. He banishes Absalom for a little while, but ultimately he lets Absalom get back into the kingdom and Absalom wins the hearts of the people, and it's this whole giant mess. David has to leave the kingdom. Absalom ends up dying. His daughter has lost her purity and her reputation. Now he's got two sons that are dead, and it's all because David would not step up and to do the right thing when he needed to. But he's at the end of his life, and he's saying, I'm not going out like that and this is a good news of of encouragement for all of us and this is what he as he's getting ready to die his son who is going to be the king he brings him close and he says i want to tell you some things here's some things you need to do and it's a powerful act of challenging a son to be a man and it's a powerful encouragement to us about how god can bless any mess that we might find ourselves in so we're going to walk through this like it's going to be powerful if you're ready to jump in Say I am. All right, 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. And I love this. This is powerful. So be strong. Act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's kind of what we just did few seconds ago there's nothing more powerful than the one man speaking to another man and saying be a man this is powerful he says walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands his laws and regulations as written in the law of moses do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the lord may keep his promise to me if your descendants walk watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So he gives them this charge that basically what that is, is like, act like a man, live for God. We're going to come unpack that here in just a few moments. Now David gets granular. He gets granular, and you could almost argue a little bit mafia-like, okay? Because he's like, he, what, but, uh, you're going to think he's mafia, but what he's doing, he's taking care of business. Watch this. Now he says, now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and 
uh, Amasa, son of Jether, he killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with the blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the saddles on his feet. And he says, deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Come on, can't you see Vito Corleone doing that? Yes, do what you think is best. But don't let his gray head go down to the grave. I mean, it's just powerful. It just hits you right here, you know? Anyways. But then he says, but show kindness to the sons of Berzali, who of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And then, remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Burham, who called down bitter curses on me that day I went to Menam. And when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom, and you will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. <laughs> it's like, you are a man of wisdom. It's like some of the most dangerous words of scripture, it turns out. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David. And check this out, y'all. And his rule was firmly established. What David does in this moment, he fixes what needed to be fixed. That's what he's doing. He's taking care of business. We're going to unpack this. He's basically saying, I've got, I've done some good things, but I've also got a mess and I've left you a mess because of stuff I have not done, but I'm not going to, I'm not going out like that. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I'm going to bless this mess. And I want to give us three thoughts from this uh, that I think all of us can apply, especially moms and dads. But all of us can apply, and it's this as it relates to our messes. Our mess gets blessed, number one, when we learn from our mistakes. Number two, when we champion righteousness. And number three, when we leave legacies worth following. When we learn from our mistakes, when we champion righteousness, and when we leave legacies worth following. All right, we're going to unpack this. Before we do, I want you to find six people next to you and say, hey, God wants to bless your mess. Come on, find six people and just tell them, God wants to bless your mess. He really does. And he can. Now, what's interesting here is, is the first thing is this. Our mess will, will be blessed when we learn from our mistakes. When we learn from our mistakes. David isn't just being vindictive here. He understands that if Solomon doesn't take care of Joab and Shimei, they will be threats to his kingdom. And so he's saying, hey, listen, you've got to take care of business. You've got to, you've got to do this. And David is learning from his mistake because he had, he had a tendency to not step up and do the thing that needed to be done when it needed to be done. And what David is showing us in this example, in this passage right here, and in his life in general, is that we have a tendency to repeat our mistakes. Isn't it true? We have a tendency to do the same thing. The same thing that got us before got us again and, 
and maybe we'll get us tomorrow. That's kind of how it goes sometimes. Doesn't it feel like that? David, he constantly was stepping back when he needed to step up. We do this. Proverbs 26 says this, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Isn't that the grossest thing to watch when a dog just, and then comes back and licks it up? It's just like, it's just not, you're like, no, no, oh. And then that same dog is kissing your child in the mouth later. It's just not, why would you do that? But it's true. The same thing that tripped us up before often will trip us up again, and the enemy knows this. He knows you have weaknesses. He knows you have issues, things that plague you, and he knows what those things are. He knows how to get your goat. He knows how to trip you up. He knows how to mess you up. It happens to a lot of us. In fact, it even it even happened, the Apostle Paul even struggled with this. After he'd been a Christian, after, I mean, he's walked with God, starting churches, he writes this. He says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody ever felt like that? He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. That I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Have you ever felt like that? David is feeling like that in this moment. And he's saying, I, I'm drawing a line in the sand. He says, Solomon, I'm not going to leave you with the mess. I'm going to... I'm going to fix some things. I've fixed some things for you before this moment, and now I'm telling you, you need to fix some stuff after this moment. I am going to learn from my mistakes. David is saying this. I may have been dominated by my mistakes, but I will not be defined by my mistakes. I want you to know this. It's never too late to learn from your mistakes. Although they may have been your way of operating, they do not need to be your way of operating. It's never too late to draw a line on in the sand. Think about this. David is making these changes on his deathbed. I mean, right before he dies, this is some of the last things he's saying. He's like, do this, do that, kill him, honor him. I mean, he's like taking care of this. He's like, I do not want my mistakes passed on to you what dad does but for all of the dads in here sometimes you got to draw a line in the sand and you got to say i am not passing this on in jesus name what has what has dominated you does not need to define you it's never too late to do it differently that's what god's all about god's all about transformation god's all about Grace changing our heart and getting us to operate differently. I think about another person who made a last-minute change, the thief on the cross, right next to Jesus, guy who had only deserved death, only deserved punishment. His actions only deserved separation, and yet he finds himself next to the Son of God as 
salvation and grace are now about to come online in a unique and powerful way. And he says to Jesus, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Let me ask you this. What, did, what had he done to deserve paradise? Nothing. He had done nothing. The only thing he had done was reach out for the one who had done everything and was doing everything. Think about this for a moment. The thief on the cross is the first one who gets to experience heaven. In the Old Testament, when people died, they would go to Sheol. It was kind of like a resting place, a waiting place. But when Jesus died, he established paradise. So literally, this one who had done nothing got to experience everything. What a beautiful picture of God's heart. You might have mistakes. You might have, you might have had a history of messing up. But you know what? God says, if you will look to me, I will take you and I will do something great in those mistakes. Look at the Apostle Paul. We read Romans chapter 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, he doesn't leave us there. He tells us in verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He understands that what Jesus did on the cross was, was not only take our sin from us, but give us the ability as he rose up out of that grave to live different. And he goes on to talk about in Romans 8, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then he says in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus rose from the dead, rose from the dead to make you a conqueror, an overcomer, so that you don't have to sit in your sin. You can rise up out of it. You have resurrection life inside of you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So we can learn from our mistakes. Second, our mess will be blessed when we champion righteousness. We've got to champion righteousness. I like what, what David says. We read it. It's just worth reading again. He says, so be strong. Act like a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands. His laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. I think it's very interesting that David says, be strong. Act like a man. Follow God. He ties in manliness with godliness. And what a difference from our culture. What a difference from the flesh, right? What does culture say being a man is all about? Like how much you can lift, you know? When you're young, it's like what shoes you have. As you get older, it becomes what house you have. That's, that's, that's the status of your manhood. That's what makes you, man, I'm strong. I, I, I've got a lot of money. I've got a lot of stuff. And yet we know that those things are so fleeting, aren't they? 
you could lose your health. Your investments could go, could tank, but you know what you will never lose? Godliness. You are never more a man than when you are following Jesus. You are never stronger than when you're laying your desires down to follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's, that's what David, David is understanding this. He's, he's, he knows what it is to walk with God. He's been in the presence of God. And he understands that if he makes a big deal out of this in front of Solomon, it will be a big deal to Solomon. He understands that what gets celebrated gets repeated. So he's celebrating this because he wants to see it repeated in, in Solomon's life. This is really important for parents. So parents, this is really good for all of us. I just want to ask you, what are you making a big deal out of for your kids? A lot of things you can make a big deal out of, right? You can make a big deal out of sports, athletics. You can make a big deal out of money and education and, and all of those things or stuff in general, like just accumulating stuff. You can make a big deal out of a lot of things, but there's only one thing that is the most important thing, and it's following Jesus. We got to champion righteousness. That's our number one job as parents is to point our kids to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. And a massive part of this is in the words that we speak. I want, you, I want to see this in, in 1 Kings 2. There's two things that he says. In verse 6, he says, Deal with him according to your wisdom. And then in verse 9, he says, you are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do. He's calling Solomon a man of wisdom. Now, many of you know Solomon would become the wisest person to ever walk the face of the earth outside of Jesus, right? He would be the wisest person. So you're like, of course he's calling him the wisest person. But he's not the wisest person yet. He doesn't become the wisest person until the next chapter. So what's happening? David is planting seeds of what matters. David is, David is saying, you're a man of wisdom. You are a man of wisdom. So what does Solomon do when God shows up to him and says, Solomon, what would you want me to do for you? He says, uh, I want to be a man of wisdom. See, the words that we speak over our kids' lives will end up driving how they think and what they do and what they desire. I want to encourage you, make sure you use the right words that help your kids pursue righteousness. And if you don't, if you don't have kids, pursue righteousness yourself and help others do the same because this is what matters and this is what helps our lives not be messy. And the last thing would be this. Our mess will be blessed when we leave legacies worth following. When we leave legacies worth following. If your words matter some, your actions matter more. What you say is important. What you do is more important. And this is where David did excel. Because David did a lot to set Solomon up. He drew up plans for the temple. He raised the money for the temple. He got the materials together to build the temple, which was a massive thing. He got the, uh, the leadership of Israel to support Solomon's reign. He did all of that. But the most important thing that he did for Solomon 
was show Solomon what it's like to follow God. Even when you mess up, David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He pursued God. He chased God. In fact, he left such a mark that all throughout the Old Testament, as you read through the kings, they're evaluated on whether they lived like David or didn't. As you read through, it's like as he followed the Lord as his father David had done. Or he did not walk in the ways of his father David. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's either one of, he left such an example that for generation after generation after generation, they're looking back and saying, man, that's what it looks like to follow God. I think, I think Solomon might have been thinking about that in Proverbs chapter 1 when he writes this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. Son of David. Solomon's writing this. He's like, man, my dad knew what it was like to follow God. He was far from perfect, but he walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He left a legacy worth following. You know, here's the reality. And, and again, I just want to speak to the dads for a quick moment. This applies to all of us. But dads, if you follow Jesus, your kids will follow Jesus. Like much more likely to follow Jesus than if you don't follow Jesus. There's a stat uh, recently that said that if, if the dad goes to church, the, the percentage of the kids going to church will be 65 to 70% that they will follow God, that they will, they, will, they will stay in church. If the dad doesn't go, one in 50. You go from one in 50 to 65 to 70%. I just want to ask you, parents, what kind of legacy do we want to leave for our kids? I mean, it'd be great to give your kids an inheritance. That would be awesome. Like, that's awesome. It'd be, great. It'd be great to give your kids lots of memories. I love memories. I think it's really important. I think it's awesome. But there's nothing more important that you could give your kids than the model of following Jesus. And it's not perfect. It's not flawless. It's just one foot in front of the other I'm not giving up on God. I just want to challenge all of us today to think about this. What really matters to us? What really matters? It's leaving a legacy. One of my favorite passages of scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you have done or let that all that you do be done in love. Do you know who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. Do you know who it sounds like? David. Doesn't it sound like David? It sounds a lot like David. I wonder if Paul was thinking about this moment as he was trying to encourage an entire church to live for God. 
Think about the legacy that he left. David, flawed, imperfect, but desirous of God, and God used him. I want to tell you this. God wants to use you. God wants to use you to make a difference. You know, the cool thing about uh, that Jesus Revolution movie is, you know, Chuck Smith says, man, I've really made, I've made a mess of things, haven't I? You know, and his wife encourages him and says, hey, God can use anything. And, and use his messes did God use, amen? Because if you follow what happened there in that moment, began a revival that we are still in the midst of. The Jesus Revolution transformed America, transformed the world. And it happened because somebody who was in the midst of failure saying, God, can you do anything? Said, God, bless this mess. And God did just that. I want to encourage you, you might be facing some messes today. You might be facing some situations where you're like, man, I don't, I, I feel like I've made a mess of things. I want you to know that the grace of God is, is available. It is powerful. The son of David, Jesus Christ, came not only to atone sin and remove it from us, but give us the, the ability to walk up out of it. And he wants to do the same for us today if we'll put our faith and our hope in him.